week three of our series called The Journey. And I think as, as Christians, too often what we do is we, we focus on the destination. Now, don't get me wrong. The destination is, is incredible, right? God promises a perfect relationship with him in a, in a perfect place. No more pain, no more sadness, no more shame. In fact, the Bible says that we will have perfect bodies, which is good because many of us gave up on that a long time ago. I think some of us may even have hair in heaven, right? I mean, it's a, it's a or maybe hair is a result of sin. I don't know. Either way, we'll figure it out, but, but it's going to be a perfect place, and, and we're so excited about that, and so this series really, it's not about that. We're talking in this series about our lifetime, the journey on the way to that destination, and we're following a story of a guy named Abraham in the Bible, because Abraham lived a, a life of faith, and that's really what his story is all about, what his journey is all about, and what we're going to discover in this series is how we can become people of faith as as well as a result. And, and so in week one, Mike kicked it off, did a phenomenal job. You can go back and, and catch up if you missed that message. Um, but God made a promise, right? And that's what began this journey because Abraham in faith left everything behind and began to follow God. Last week, we saw that on his journey, he ran into obstacles and opposition. But even in the face of all of that, he was still obedient. And this week, what we're gonna talk about is the baggage that Abraham brought along with him. How many of you have been um, in the airport and you've been trying to go through security and, and you've kind of been stuck in a line because there's been someone at the, at the security part where you gotta check all your bags through that, that it has found something in their stuff that there's not supposed to go through and now they're, they're there trying to deal with it and it's caused a, a line behind you? I apologize, because it was probably me. Because I don't travel a lot, but oftentimes when I do, I'll get to that point and I usually have a bottle of water with me and I realize at that point, and, and no matter how many times I try to make the argument that it's clearly unopened, uh, I'm never allowed to take it through, and I'm faced with that dilemma between throwing it away or drinking it. And I'm never thirsty, but I, I'm not willing to give up on my 12-cent bottle of water from Costco, and, and so it's a principle of it all, right? And I'll stand there and drink it, and I make people miss their flights and whatever it is, because I, I just can't do it. Maybe you're the person that, that tries to sneak a, an entire a full-size bottle of shampoo through with your carry-on, because it's only half-filled, right? You're very confident there's only 3.4 ounces left in there, but, but you're determined to get that through it. Clearly, I've never done that one. Uh, when, I, when I had hair, right, you could take as much shampoo with you as you wanted on your, in your carry-on. It didn't matter back then. When we lived in, uh, in Southern California, there was a theater near us, the one that we went to all the time. Now, this was, before, this was before those fancy new theaters, right? The ones with the leather, like slowly reclining seats and the people that come and serve you. I mean, this is like, it is a game changer, these theaters. If, you've, if you haven't been to one, don't go unless you don't ever want to be able to go back to a regular theater again, right? Because it, it just messes you up. But this was just a normal, regular theater. You know, the ones that, that the floors are sticky and you have to take out a, a small personal loan just to get popcorn and a drink and, and those seats, they don't like glide back, right? They just kind of like bounce back and forth. And when the, the person behind you, when they need to get up, right, they grab your seat for support and pull you back into launch position. And when they release it, you're like three rows, right? Like later, you're like, this is a fantastic. I'm talking that kind of theater. 
And so when we were in Southern California, the theater that we used to go to, it was, it was strategically placed between a food court, an outdoor food court, and a dollar store. It's like they were challenging us to try and bring as much food in as we could, right? And I know you've never done this before, but moms were giving up their purses for like beach bags full of food and suitcases with handles and wheels, right? Because the, the high school kid that's taking tickets, he's like, whatever, dude. He's like, he doesn't care. You don't pay me enough to care about this stuff. Take whatever you want in. And, and so you get into your theater and like 30 seconds from sitting down, it smells like the golden corral in there. And like moms are like passing out. Who had the nachos, the Greek salad, the Kung Pao chicken? And you're like, this is amazing, right? And everybody at the same time, everybody's waiting for the loudest part in the previews, usually like a Transformers movie or something like that, to, to release the gas. They're all popping cans and, and releasing two liter bottles like through the whole theater, right? Is everybody's, everybody's bringing their own stuff in? I'm sure you've never done that before. Uh, around five years ago, uh, Laura and I went on a, on a trip with Mike and Laura and a couple of other couples to Uganda. And on our way back from Uganda, I was the last one uh, in line as we went through security. And, and I, got, I got randomly selected, right? Apparently, I was the shadiest looking one of all of them. And, and so they pulled me to the side and began going through my luggage. And, and I don't know if you've ever had your luggage kind of gone through. It's never fun, right? It's unsettling, period, to have security go through your luggage because you, you feel vulnerable and you feel like they're judging you. And yes, I needed that many bottles of hotel shampoo. I mean, I just, I just did. And... and and, but I, in a foreign country, right, it's just even more unsettling. And the rest of the group had had to go through security, and so they were gone, and I was left by myself wondering, will I ever get home, right? Like, is this going to happen? And then you begin to think, what did I actually put in there, right? Like, what did I pack? You do this mental inventory, and you're like, I hope my toothbrush isn't too sharp, right? Like, I didn't have a, a Ziploc bag of flour in there by any chance, did I? Right? Like, you just start to go through these things. What did I bring with me? See, I think we can all relate to bringing a little extra with us. In fact, the, in life, baggage is, is usually it has a negative connotation to it, right? Like, they're really cute, but they got a lot of baggage with them, right? Or when we got into this marriage, I had no idea that he was going to bring that much baggage in with him. Each of us carries a lot of baggage around with us. Now, for most of us, it's kind of, it's neat and, and it's kind of hidden, right? We kind of like, like this picture, right? We just kind of, we kind of put it up there. Everybody knows that there's baggage, but you don't know what exactly is in there. It's kind of neat and good. For some of us, we have a little more baggage than other people do. <laughs> don't elbow the person next to you, right? Because they've already got enough baggage. They don't need the extra guilt that comes with it. Some of us, some of us, like we've been completely weighed down by our baggage. And now we're just more like this, right? We're like, I can't go anywhere. I am paralyzed. I am stuck with my baggage because we all carry around baggage with us. Last weekend, we talked about obstacles and we talked about opposition, and it's stuff that we run into in life, right? Because none of us, none of us planned on that stuff being there. None of us wanted it. If, if none of us were in control of those obstacles or that opposition. If we were, we would have removed it ourselves. But our baggage, our baggage is very different, right? Our baggage is the stuff that we choose to bring with us. In fact, we take it with us everywhere we go, weighing us down, impacting the decisions that we make, challenging our relationships and making the journey much, much harder than it really needs to be. And so the question is this, is, what is what's your baggage? What is it that you're carrying around with you? Maybe it's a painful memory. Maybe it's a, a haunting fear for you. Maybe it's some unconscious belief. See, I think there are, are hundreds of circumstances and, and values 
and emotions that we carry around with us. In the purpose-driven life, uh, some of the, the most common ones were listed. Maybe for you, it's, it's guilt. Many of us spend a lot of our lives running from regrets and hiding from shame. Guilt-driven people are often manipulated by the memories that they have. They allow their past to, to impact and to control their future. And what we do is we end up, we, we kind of punish ourselves, right? We start to sabotage our own success in the future. We become products of the past, which makes us prisoners of it. Maybe yours is resentment and anger. You hold on to hurts and you just never seem to be able to, to let them go. You just never be able to, seem to be able to move on and, and get past them. Instead of releasing the pain through forgiveness, you rehearse it over and over and over again in your mind. See, angry people respond in, in one of two ways. You either bottle it up and, and you just kind of suppress it and push it down inside or you blow up and you explode it onto everybody else around you. Both responses are unhealthy. Both responses unhelpful. Resentment always hurts you more than it hurts the person that you resent, right? Because what happens is that that person, they've probably already forgotten about it. They've already moved on in your life. But what we tend to do is we tend to, to stew in our pain and we perpetuate the past over and over again. Those of you who have, who have allowed someone to or have been hurt by someone in the past, see what you, you have to realize is that we cannot, they can't hurt you anymore unless we allow them to unless we allow them to, unless we hold on to the pain of resentment in our lives. So your past is your past and nothing will change it. And you're only hurting yourself with bitterness in your life. Maybe yours is fear. Your fears may be the result of a, maybe a traumatic experience Maybe unrealistic expectations that you have for yourself. Maybe you grew up in, in a high control home or even maybe it's just a, a genetic predisposition for you. See, regardless of, of the cause, what happens is that, that fear-driven people miss great opportunities because they're not willing to venture out. We're not willing to take a risk. We're more, we're more interested in the status quo, into playing it safe in environments that we can control. Fear is a self-imposed prison that will keep you from, from becoming what God intended for you to be. Maybe for you, it's materialism. Not only do you have baggage, but you carry about the label that's on the bag, right? I, I've got a lot of bag and it's all Gucci, right? I mean, that's just, that's just what I have with me. Your desire maybe becomes a, a distracting goal in your life. And this drive always wants more, right? It's never satisfied with, with what you have. And there's misconceptions out there that if I have more, that I will be happy. If I have more, then I'm going to be important. If I have more, I'll be secure. The problem is, is that none of those three things are true. Possessions only provide a temporary happiness. And when the happiness is gone, then we, we eventually become bored with our stuff. And now we need newer stuff or, or bigger stuff or better stuff. It's a myth. If I get more, I'm gonna be more important. You see, our, our self-worth and our net worth are, are two very, very different things. We don't find our value in our valuables. And God says, in fact, that the most valuable things aren't, aren't even things. Is security can really only be found in our relationship with God, and that's something that can't be taken away from us. Maybe yours is the need for approval. You allow the expectations of parents or spouses or your children Maybe your boss or, or your teacher or friends to control your life. See, for many of us, uh, we, we are still trying to earn the approval of unpleasable parents. Or maybe we're always worried about others, what others are thinking of us. Or we have FOMO, the fear of missing out. 
And unfortunately, those that follow the crowd, what happens is that we end up getting lost in the crowd. So I don't know all of the keys to success, but I know one key to failure, and that's to try and please everybody in your life. Being controlled by the opinions of others is one absolute guaranteed way to miss God's purpose in your life. You see, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. So we could spend all day talking about the things that we carry around with us, but what if we could, what if we could let it go? What if we could put down our baggage today and, and never have to pick it back up again? How much better would your journey be if the, if the extra weight was gone, if the baggage was left behind? See, the baggage we carry with us, and what it does is it makes us a prisoner instead of allowing us to experience the promises of God. And we're gonna see that in the life of Abraham. When we can learn to trust that Jesus is enough, then we can get to the place where we can leave the baggage behind. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can uh, download our app if you want, and uh, there's notes in there, or you can follow along on the side screen. We're gonna have verses uh, along there as well. Uh, one of my mentors, Tom Holliday, he shared some insights with me about Lot, and we really haven't talked a lot about Lot so far in this series. Lot is, is Abraham's nephew, and we see him in this story throughout. Abraham took Lot with him to the promised land, and you may have, have noticed that there's kind of this behind-the-scenes thing going on here with Lot. You see, God told Abraham, I want you to go to the promised land. I want you to leave your household. I want you to leave your land, leave your country, leave your family, just your immediate family. In fact, it says this in Genesis chapter 12, verse one. You don't have to turn there, but you can just look at this. It says, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And then in verse four, it says, so Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Five little words, right? They're just kind of tacked on to the end of the sentence, but five words that are going to impact Abraham's journey. And I wanna highlight, I wanna look at a few observations that come from this part of the story of Abraham. Here's the first observation. Abraham brought a lot with him. That's, I know, it's bad. Um, I'm just gonna own it straight up. But it just in, the, in my office by myself when I wrote it, it was very funny. But now that I hear it, it's just like, yeah, that's, that's a dad joke. Um, but Abraham, he did. He brought a lot with him, right? God was very clear in his instructions to Abraham. He said, leave your country. I want you to leave your people, leave your high school buddies, leave your job, leave your father's household, say goodbye to your family and leave them behind. Now, some of you, I know some of you are wondering, you're like, how do I get God to call me to leave my extended family behind, right? Like, how do I, how do, that's not the point of this message. That's another message, another time. Now, the Bible doesn't say a lot about what that meant, right? And why this happened. But what we saw last week is we saw some of the consequences of Abraham bringing Lot with him. We're gonna see more today and we're gonna see even more in the weeks to come. Genesis 14, beginning at verse eight, it says this. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Siddim against Kedlamar, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Eleazar, four kings against five. 
I heard the band reading those verses earlier to warm up their vocal cords. You're like, I didn't know some of those letters could go next to each other. If you you have to read this passage in small group this week, just do it confidently because nobody really knows what these words say anyway. So it doesn't matter. But what we see here is we've got four kings going to war against five kings, right? And they've drawn the line in the sand and it's, it's about to go down. Verse 10, now the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all of the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food and they went away. They also carried off Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Kind of feels like another just kind of tagged on to the end of the story line there with Lot, doesn't it? You see, God allowed Abraham to take Lot with him to the promised land. God allowed it. He told him not to do it, but he allowed him to do it. And when Abraham left with him, God didn't send a lightning bolt down, right, to to kind of slow him down. There was no no neon sign at the end of town that said, this is a mistake, you need to change. It's not like a video game that you can accidentally just reset, right, when you make a mistake. God allowed Abraham to take Lot with him. And Lot, unfortunately, became one of Abraham's biggest headaches. And he became one of Abraham's biggest heartaches on his journey. See, bringing Lot, not only did it not help Abraham, but it it didn't help Lot. His life is going to be destroyed by his decision to go with Abraham. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but God allows you to bring a lot with you too. God will often let you do what you want to do. He's not gonna stop you. He, he, He allows it even though he could, but he doesn't. And when God allows it later on, we always discover why God said no in the first place, why he told us not to do it. The reality is in in my life, and I think probably in most of ours, if you're like me, you you just learn many, many, many times, and, and it's always the hard way. And if I just had learned to trust God in the first place, if I just did what God said, I would have saved myself a, a, a lot of prayer, a lot of or a pain, a lot, of, a lot of frustration. Maybe even just now, just in the quiet of our hearts, maybe we just pray this prayer, Lord, will you help me to trust you right now with whatever lot I'm bringing with me that you're saying no to in my life? So we saw this last week. Lot chose to live in the city of Sodom. And we see now that because he lived there, He's been caught up in this war. And now Abraham has a choice to make because Abraham brought Lot with him. And because he brought it, now he has to decide what he's going to do about it. Verse 13, a man who had escaped came and reported this to Abraham the Hebrew. Now Abraham was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, who had, who, all of whom sorry, were allied with Abraham. When Abraham heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abraham discovered, or sorry, divided his men to attack them and he routed, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hoba, north of Damascus. He recovered all of the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with all of the women and all of the people. After Abraham returned from defeating Kedlamar and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. See, here's the second observation. Our lot always brings consequences. Abraham puts together an an army 
right? And, and he goes out and, and he rescues Lot. He partners with a few other kings, a few other uh, people that are allies to him, and he brings back everything. He brings back Lot, and he brings back his family. He brings back all of his possessions, uh, his people. Everything that Lot had came back with Abraham. But not only did Abraham have to risk his own life to do this, he had to risk the lives of his 318 men that went with him. See, I think there's two things here. One is, is our baggage always needs to be dealt with. See, there's always consequences to our baggage and it always needs to be dealt with. See, we can carry it for a little while, but have you ever had to carry something that's heavy? Maybe it's, it's as simple as just bags of groceries, right? And, and at first you don't feel it. You're like, I'm, I'm fine, I, I can do this. But as you go on, it, it starts to weigh down on you. And it starts to cut into your hands a little bit and it starts to get heavier and, and heavier and you begin to notice it and you begin to feel it and eventually it crashes and falls down around you because you can't carry it anymore. Here's a second thing. I, I think our baggage, it, it never just affects us. We think that we can keep it to ourselves. We think that it's just my little secret. It's just, it's just stuff that I deal with. Nobody else needs to know about this, but eventually through our attitudes, Eventually, through our actions, it comes out and everyone ends up seeing it. Maybe yours is in your marriage. Looks great from the outside, but at home, you're sleeping in separate beds. Maybe it's your life on social media, right? The, the A side of your life. It looks incredible, all of the things that you post because you've edited it that way. But the B side, it's another story. Maybe your bitterness, your resentment, it, it's coming out at work. And now no one wants to, no one wants to work with you. You're never invited to lunch anymore. No one wants to hang out with you after, after work. Genesis 14 and verse 18 says this. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abraham saying, blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hands. So here's the third observation. God wants to get involved. This is such great news, especially for those of us that are exhausted, right? Especially for those of us that are tired of carrying our baggage around by ourselves. The Bible tells us more about this guy, Melchizedek, in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews was written to, to Jewish believers, and there's a consistent theme that happens throughout the book of Hebrews. And it's this that God has, has promised Jesus from the very beginning. That Jesus is coming, that Jesus was always a part of God's plan. Hebrews chapter seven, beginning of verse one says this. This Melchizedek was the king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. Now notice, he doesn't list the name of all those kings, right? He just kind of, the writer skips over that part. But it says this in verse two, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Who, who is this Melchizedek? See, some see him as, as maybe kind of a, a spiritual appearance of, of Jesus before he became a man. Others think that maybe he was an angel that was sent by God to, to talk with Abraham. Most likely he was just a man, a great man, a king is what it says, right? Who isn't recorded anywhere in any of our genealogies, but he is obviously recognized by Abraham. 
His name means king of righteousness, and he's also called the king of peace, which, which stands out compared to these other kings that are all going to war against each other. He was probably the king of, of what would later become Jerusalem. He was the priest of God most high. See, we don't know, we don't know much about this, but he recognized God is the creator of heaven and earth. Melchizedek was a type of Christ. A type is an Old Testament event or a teaching that is closely related to what Christ did and it illustrates a lesson about who Jesus is. See, God shows up and he uses Melchizedek to give to Abraham. He gives him three things. One is he gives him, he gives him bread and wine. The second thing that he gives him is a blessing. And the third, and in my opinion, maybe the most important of the three, is that he reminded Abraham who really won the battle. Verse three again says this, praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Says Abraham, just, just in case you're, you're, you're confused in any way, Abraham, just in case you thought you won this battle on your own, Abraham, just in case your pride wants to creep in here and distract you, I want you to keep focused on who really did this for you. And so God places Melchizedek in the right place at the exact right time to help remind Abraham that God is actively involved in his life. And that even though he brought a lot with him, and, and even though he caused his own mess that he had to go clean up, that, that God hadn't abandoned him. And God gave Abraham the victory. God's the one that provided everything that Abraham needed. Once again, proving to Abraham that God is in control, that God is faithful, and that God will keep his promises. And that is really all that Abraham needs. Genesis 14, verse 20. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a, a strap of a sandal so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner and to Eshkol and to Mamre. Let them have their share. Here's the fourth observation. See, Abraham realizes that God is enough. Abraham gave one-tenth of, of what he had recovered to Melchizedek, he's following the customs, he's following the, the traditions, he's giving back to God. But he refused to take any of the recovered goods from the king of Sodom. Even though this would have increased his, his personal wealth, even though he now would have had more to actually give back to God. See, he chose to reject those things because he had a few very important reasons. One is that Abraham was holding on to God's promise. And even though he doesn't have that child yet, even though he doesn't have the offspring, right, so that the nation can be formed that we've looked at in the past couple of weeks, that's the reward that Abraham is focused on. He's focused on the promise that God made to him. And he's waiting for God to fulfill that promise. Abraham wanted everyone to know, God did this for me. You didn't do it for me. I didn't do it for myself. God is the one who did this for me. See, God is enough for Abraham. And throughout Abraham's life, what we see is that God is going to give him pictures of Jesus. 
Abraham saw that the birth of the Messiah in the miraculous birth of his own son, Isaac. We'll look at that in a, in a couple of weeks. He saw Calvary and he saw the cross through the test to sacrifice Isaac's life. Now, let me just give a little spoiler alert because if you're here just checking out kind of this whole Jesus thing and you're like, what, sacrificing kids and stuff? It's, it didn't go down that way and you have to come back to hear the rest of, of, that, of that story. And here through Melchizedek, he sees the priestly line of Jesus. He sees the authority of God. He sees God's plan for salvation through Jesus. We're 14 chapters into the story and already we're starting to see Jesus in this. See, God is foreshadowing in the life of Abraham, the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is going to come into this world someday. And this is so cool, right? Because God's showing that, that salvation was established long before Adam and Eve even made their first decision. Long before Abraham, long before Melchizedek, it was established before the beginning of time. See, God didn't want us to sin, but he knew that we were going to, and he knew that as a result, we were gonna be stuck with all of this baggage. And so even before we made that choice, God planned on bringing us back into a relationship with himself. And we see that plan unfolding in the journey of Abraham. See, here's the, the gospel. The, the gospel, the good news, it's not, it's not this. It's not clean up your life and then, and then you can come to me. It's not go fix your lot, go fix your messes, go clean up your mistakes. And, and when you do, or, or if you do a good enough job with that, then I'll accept you. That's religion. Religion is all about earning some kind of relationship with God. That's not the gospel. The gospel is simply this. Jesus meets us where we are. He redeems us and he restores us. And as a result of that, then we follow him on our journey. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You see, without Jesus, we're dead people spiritually. We were born this way. And I know that when I examine my heart, when I examine my motives, when I examine my words or my attitudes or my actions, right, I can relate to Paul's words there because my selfishness, my, my bitterness, my anger, my jealousy, my pride, that's my sin. That's the stuff that's a, the result of my disobedience and it separates me from God. That's the baggage that we bring with us. Maybe you're carrying around the brokenness of, of a former friendship where all that remains now is just the awkwardness and the feelings, or, or maybe it's your marriage is slowly falling apart. Maybe it's some interactions that you've had with your siblings or with your parents, and, 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 and maybe it's not quite dead, but it feels like it. It feels like a part of you has died with that relationship. Maybe it's poor decisions that you've made along the way that now have left you filled with regret, and you're filled with, with guilt, and maybe now you're even still doing things that you can't believe you're doing, or maybe you've been doing them for so long that, that you, it just doesn't even bother you anymore. Maybe you think it's too late. You've gone too far. You have too much baggage. See, the reality is, is that you haven't. There is an answer. There is hope, and it's found in Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that he gave us life with Christ. What does that mean? Well, before Jesus, right, we were, we were dead spiritually. We were broken. We were living with regret and, and, and bitterness and resentment without hope, without joy, without peace. But those two words, but God, 
not but Donnie, not, not but you. Right? It's not something that you do on your own. It, it's but God, the same God who gave Abraham his victory is the same God who raised Jesus from the dead. And he makes the person inside of you come alive and he makes us new. And we're no longer that person that we used to be. We no longer need to carry around the baggage with us that we brought back in. See, God brings you and me back to life. Why? Because he loves us so much. Ephesians 3, 17 says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And you may have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. See, Jesus died for our sins on that cross. He died in our place, our substitute. And he took the consequences of our sin and he conquered it and he took, he took the, the consequences of death and he defeated it. And by raising again to, to new life, what he provided for us was forgiveness of our sins. He provided a way for us through repentance and through faith to be restored in our relationship with God. And he promises us a, a whole brand new journey free of the baggage. See, here's the, the bottom line. What you bring with you never compares to what Jesus gives you. Let me give you three questions as you head into this week. Here's the first one. What did you bring with you? What's that thing throughout it? As we've been talking, right? There's been something in your, in your mind. There's something that's, that's just beating in, in your heart right now. I don't know if it's anger or, or pride, if it's that grudge that you've been holding on to, that, that bitterness, right? That, that's starting to, to, to just make everything in your life hard. Maybe it's just greed. Maybe it's a habit that you just haven't seemed to be able to break or it's a hurt that you just keep holding on to. What's that thing that you brought in with you? What's your baggage today? Second question. Will you trust that Jesus is enough? See, it's, it's not too late. You're not too far gone. The baggage isn't too heavy for God to come in and deal with it. You brought it in with you. God allowed you to, but he still accepts you as you are, baggage and all. And I know you feel the consequences of it. I feel it in my life. But here's what it, what's incredible is that God wants to take it from you. Jesus has already won the battle. He's already paid the price. The question is, is will you trust him? There is nothing, nothing that you could do to cause God to love you more or less than he does right now in this moment. The question is, is will you trust that Jesus is enough? And if so, then that leads to this third question is what do you need to, to give away? So you get to come to Jesus just as you are. God gave us everything that we need in Jesus. He receives us. And when we receive Jesus, then we can leave our baggage behind. Religion says, get right, fix it yourself, right? Then you can come to God. You, you have to do it all on your own. The problem is, is that we just can't ever get right enough. But Jesus says, I want you to come to me as you are, right? I want a relationship with you. I want to journey with you. I've done everything for you. I've paid the price. When you're in a relationship with me, you're already right. And so you can put the baggage down because it's already done. What you bring with you never compares to what Jesus gives you. Will you bow your head with me? 
Imagine what this would look like in your life. Right? If you could put that anger, that, that bitterness, that habit, that broken relationship, that greed, that, that lust, that pride, that selfishness, whatever it is that you've been carrying around with you, that fear, that desire to find acceptance in somebody or in something, what if you were able to put it down today? Imagine how that would change your life. Imagine how that would, how that would change your family the difference that they would see in you. Imagine the impact you would have in your community if you, if you were able to walk away from that today. See, we all have baggage. The question is, is will you trust that, that God loves you as you are and that he has already, he's already won the victory, that he wants to take it away from you today? Because if you're in that place and it's simply just in the, in the quiet of your heart, you just confess, God, I, I, brought, I brought baggage in with me today, but I trust you, Jesus. I trust that you're enough. I, I don't have all of the answers to, to everything, but I receive your grace and your love. And I believe that through your death and through your resurrection that I've been set free, that I can be forgiven and that I can join you on this journey and look forward to a destination with you for eternity. For some of us today, we're here and, and we have a relationship with Jesus but we're still carrying around baggage with us. And, and, I, and I just pray that today we recognize that we don't need to. Will you just trust Jesus is enough and leave it behind and walk out of here free? God, we thank you for your incredible grace and mercy. God, we thank you that you love us and care for us. You, you give us the freedom to bring our baggage with us. But God, you don't turn your back on us. You love us and accept us baggage and all we thank you that through Jesus that that can be left behind today, that we can find freedom in you. And Father, I pray for those that maybe for the very first time are saying, God, I'm putting my trust in you. God, I'm tired of carrying this around on my own. God, will you help them to understand that this is the greatest decision they will ever make in their lives. Father, will you help us, like Abraham, just to give it back to you and recognize, Jesus, that you are enough. We love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.